All right, well, let's start by looking at that last verse again. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is none who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children's or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So I wrestled pretty hard with this passage this week. It's a pretty famous one. It's one I imagine a lot of us are familiar with. It's usually called the rich young ruler. Uh, but for, for me, the, the thing that has drawn my attention all week long, the thing that I have been focused on are those last couple of verses. They have been a sobering reminder to me of exactly what Jesus has, has called me to. Of what Jesus has called us to as a church. What Jesus has called anyone to who says they're his follower. Because on one hand, he's called us to joy, right? He's called us to houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands and, and in the age to come, eternal life. He's called us to, to deep fulfillment. He's called us to know and to be known by the living God. Those are great things. But he has also called us to uncompromising faithfulness. He has called us to follow him into lives that involve painful sacrifice. Into lives that involve persecution. He has called us out of the comfort and the complacency of our daily lives and into this gritty reality that is daily discipleship, following Jesus. Today it's Martin Luther King Memorial Sunday, and Dr. King is a great example of this. This afternoon, I mentioned at our house, we're going to be reading the letter from a Birmingham jail. I hope you'll, you'll join us. If you come, you'll see that that letter is about just this thing. It is a letter that, that came as a response to Christians who were encouraging him to take an easy road. They were preaching conformity and patience with a broken system. But instead, Dr. King, he chose to follow the law of God instead of the law of men. And he followed that into persecution. He followed it into hardship and he followed it to death. So today, as we're looking at this passage, that's what I want us to think about. I want us to think about the radical call for us to follow Jesus. I want us to see first, what is the content of that call? What has Jesus asked of us? And then secondly, I want us to ask a more practical question. What will our lives look like if we respond? What does it mean for you and me today? And then finally, what is going to empower us to do that? How is it going to be possible? So let's jump in, okay? In the passage today, it starts off with Jesus. He meets this rich man. He's a powerful man. He's a young man. And after coming for, to Jesus for advice, this guy leaves upset. He leaves in despair. He leaves full of, of sorrow. And at the end of that interaction, 
Here's what Mark tells us. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you don't have a Bible, take one of these. It's yours. Page 494. It says on verse 23, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? When Jesus makes this comment about rich people, the disciples are, are shocked. They are shocked by Jesus' response to this wealthy guy. But today we're not really shocked, right? We are, are very comfortable seeing rich people get called out these days, right? We, in our movies, rich men are almost always the villains now, right? In, in our fiction and in real life, there are a lot more Lex Luthers than there are Bruce Waynes. If you are like me and you are watching the news this week and, and paying attention to a lot of the things you were said, when you hear Jesus say it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom, maybe if you're like me, you probably said, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. We get that. But that's not how the disciples thought. That was not how the people during Jesus' time even thought. Uh, for them, being wealthy... Having a lot was, was evidence that God was pleased with you. People assumed that that was an outward sign that you were doing the right thing. That you were living the right kind of life. And this guy, this rich young ruler, he played right into that thinking. He was a good man. He wasn't a wicked man. He was a nice guy. He had an exemplary life, a good reputation. When he said to Jesus... I've kept all the commands since my youth. Nobody in the crowd contested, right? Nobody said, no, no, that guy's a slumlord, right? No, they agreed. They were silent. He, he had a great reputation. By all accounts, this is a decent guy living a decent life who's wealthy. So why is Jesus so hard on him? What does it say? Second half of verse 21, it says... You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Why is that the response that Jesus gives him when he asks, what do I lack? Well, the verse tells us, I skipped it, but it's, it says it. It says at the beginning of verse 21 that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I think if we could just focus there for a second, we could learn a lot from that in the church. We could learn a lot from Jesus' approach to this guy because I think a lot of times, at least I know I'm this way, that I'm so worried about making Christianity palatable, that making it acceptable, that I'm really slow to tell people the hard truths. I'm slow to tell people what it really will cost them to follow Jesus. But Jesus wasn't that way, right? Jesus loved this man too much to make it seem easy. He loved him too much to let him think that he was getting close to the kingdom with his lifestyle. He loved him too much to let him think that he was a pretty decent guy who just needed to make a change here and there, and then he'd be on the way to eternal life. 
He loved this guy too much to let him believe that his unchallenging and comfortable religious life was the same thing as knowing God. But he already suspected that. You can tell, right? This man already had the notion that there was something lacking. That's, that's why he came to Jesus in the first place. This guy had it all. And yet, he, he couldn't escape the feeling that he was still lacking something. That there was something else out there. There was something more that he needed. When people saw this guy walk by, they saw a guy whose life was together. But deep down, he knew that was a lie. So, Jesus answers him. And when he does, this guy gets a lot more than he bargained for, right? You know, in baseball, they have hitting coaches. It's, it's a job you can get if you are a baseball coach. And, and the hitting coach, his whole job is to, to watch somebody swing the bat and then to help them make adjustments. Help them correct their swing enough so that they're hitting the ball the, the, the way they want to. I think this guy came to Jesus the way a baseball player might come to a hitting coach. He seems like he's just looking for some pointers, right? You know, spread your legs apart a little bit more, crouch down, then you'll be headed to eternal life. That's all you're going to need. But instead, this, Jesus says to him, you're not even playing the right game. Jesus, in his mercy, in his love, he laid it out for him. He said, you are doing it all wrong. Sure, on the outside, everything looks great. But the truth of the matter is, you are far from the Lord. You love your comfort more than you love him. Your money is what you really value. And until you get rid of it, you are never going to have the treasure that your heart really desires. You see that? I wonder if a lot of us aren't in this exact same place. It, it might seem funny to suggest that, right? It might seem funny to suggest that our congregation is one that is uh, worshiping their own wealth, right? We are not uh, the richest bunch anybody's ever seen, right? <laughs> I know that, that a lot of us here, we're just barely getting by, right? A lot of us in this room, we're living paycheck to paycheck, or some of us, we don't even have a paycheck. But, you know, you don't need money to be controlled by money. You know, the, the promise of wealth, the desire for wealth, can have just as much control over you as the wealth itself. We might excuse ourselves from this. We might say that we're not so guilty of this. But, but I think we are guilty of this. I think in the church, especially Christians, are guilty of this. I think we show it in the way that we decide what job we're going to take. When we decide uh, where we're going to live. When we decide how much we're going to give to the work of the kingdom. I think most of the time we do that first with an eye to our own comfort. And then secondly, to Jesus. 
I think we are concerned first with our own prosperity and well-being, and then we look to see, well, well, what do I have left to give? And it's because our culture teaches us that. The world has taught us that we should put our hope in our wealth. And even if we all know it's a lie, even if we all know that deep down money's not going to satisfy us, it's still really hard to break out of that way of thinking, isn't it? It's very easy to put our trust in our wealth. It's very easy to think more money is the thing that we really need. Because money is like, money is like a steroid. Now, now bear with me on this. Anybody here have allergies? Got any allergy people out there? Come on, show me your hands. I got some allergies. <laughs> it, it used to be worse than it is, is now, but I've had them rough at some point. And, 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 and a while back, I went to... Uh, my doctor, Southern Jamaica Plain Health Center, shout out, anybody go there, great place, um, <laughs> um, went to see my doctor and he gave me a, a steroid, one of those things that you like spray up your nose, and uh, he explained to me how this thing works. Now if you are a medical professional, I'm just going to apologize beforehand, because I'm going to try to tell you what he told me, this could be all wrong, but this is what I think he said. <laughs> what he told me was this, that that the way these, these things work is, you know, when, when cat dander or pollen or whatever it is that you're allergic to goes into your nose, goes into your body, uh, people who have allergies, their body starts to fight against it. They start to try to kick it out the way it would treat a virus. So you're always sniffling and coughing and stuff. And what the steroid does is it just kind of suppresses that response. It, it turns down that immune response that you have. So you aren't sniffing so much. But it actually, it doesn't cure anything. It doesn't fix your allergies. It just makes it so you don't notice them quite so much. Well, maybe you can see now what I mean. Wealth is kind of like that. Wealth can dull some of your symptoms. Wealth can dull some of that pain that your soul feels. But it can't cure it. It might numb you a little bit to your loneliness. It might make you a little healthier so you're not so afraid of death. It might make you feel significant. It might make you feel powerful. It might buy you some nice distractions from those pains of your daily life. But it cannot fix any of your core issues. And if we only treat the symptoms... We will not be cured. You see, money, it makes us feel like we're doing all right when on the inside, we are actually very sick. And that's what this scene is about. Jesus loved this man too much to let him keep treating his symptoms. To let him keep living a good life. Instead, he exposed the disease that was in his heart. You see, all of us, every one of us, we are all seeking security. We are all seeking comfort. We are all desiring a future that is secure, that we don't have to worry about, that we don't have to feel anxious about. But you know what? This world has no cure for those things. It can only mask them. It can only distract us from them. And so Jesus here, he is, is calling this man instead to turn away from that false God. 
to turn away from comfort and instead submit his life to the only one who would really meet those eternal needs. Submit his life to Jesus, the only one who can really meet the needs of his heart, the only one who can give us true security, true comfort, the only one who can guarantee our future will be an eternal future in the presence of the living God. That's what Jesus calls this man to, and that's what he calls us to as well. So secondly, let me ask the question, what does it look like for us to respond to that call? What will your life be like if you hear Jesus calling and respond to him? If you've read the New Testament before, you know that Jesus doesn't ever ask another person to sell all their belongings before they follow him. This guy is unique. Probably the closest comparison you can make is, is maybe the story of Zacchaeus. Do you remember him? Gospel of Luke tells his story that he was a, a rich man. But, but he wasn't like this guy because he was a scoundrel. He made his money by stealing it from people. He made his money by working with the government that everyone hated. And when he came to faith in Christ, he gave away half of what he had. And Jesus said, salvation is here. So what gives? What's up with this uneven standard? Why does the good guy have to give away everything while the bad guy only has to give away half? Well, it's because the standard is not specific. The standard that Jesus requires of me and requires of you is a little bit different for each of us. You see, Jesus doesn't say, here's what you have to give up to follow me. He doesn't call you to give up a specific thing, but he calls us to change what we treasure. Do you understand? He doesn't call us to, to give up, you know, this one thing that we all have to give up, but he wants us to change what it is that we really value, what it is that we really love. So let's look again at that verse. This guy, when he comes to Jesus, the living God walking on earth, Jesus says to him that you will have treasure in heaven if you follow me. And this guy, it says, is disheartened. And he goes away sorrowful. Isn't that crazy? The, the living God guaranteed this man eternal wealth. And he went away sad. Do you realize here that, that this, this guy's problem is not that, that his treasure was too great on earth. His problem was that the thing he treasured was too small. It reminds me of that C.S. Lewis quote. I'm sure you've all heard it if you've been in the church. It's a really famous one. It's from his essay, The Weight of Glory. But he says, this is the condition for all of us. That we are half-hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum. Because he can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. This man rejects eternal riches because he has a lot of sheep. <laughs> because he has a pile of money that is worthless. And you know those sheep are long gone too. 
You see, what he really treasured were all things that fade. Not the eternal. Not the living God. So hear this. That call, that call to sell everything you have is a call for us to stop being so easily pleased. It's a call for you to stop fixing your heart on temporary trinkets. Because what you really need is bigger than that. What you really need is eternal life. What you really need is a relationship with the ever-living God. But there is some hard truth that comes along with this choice. Because whenever we, we choose the right thing, if we ever choose God, Jesus tells us it comes at a cost. You may not have an inheritance, right? <laughs> we may not have a ton of money that we've got to give up, but there is always something that Jesus is going to ask you to give up. Now, again, you're going to gain a lot more than you will ever lose. But he says, even while you gain in this life, it's going to come with persecution. The truth is, if you decide to lay down your wealth and follow Jesus, the world is not going to understand you. People are going to call you a fool. They're going to mock you. And you know what else? Sometimes your life will actually get harder. If you had chosen that path of least resistance... <laughs> As you look around and see people who aren't following Jesus, you're going to look around and say, this isn't better. This is harder. And here again, I think it's a great opportunity to, to bring up Dr. King. You know, Dr. King was a smart guy. <laughs> he was a gifted, brilliant guy. He came to Boston in 1955 to do a PhD. Uh, just down the street, you know, I don't know if you know, like... Every town has a Martin Luther King Boulevard, but not every town actually had Martin Luther King for a while. <laughs> BU, right down the street. The director of the BU Research Center said that, that when he came to Boston for the first time, he felt free. Now, I'm not going to say that Boston was some kind of mecca for equality even back then, but, but the truth was, coming from the South, he came to Boston and he felt free, free to go to a restaurant and be served. He was experiencing a type of equality he'd never seen before. And you know what? He could have settled for that. He could have come here and he could have decided to stay here. Lord knows we need preachers. <laughs> he could have stayed here. He could have pastored a church and he could have done good work. But he chose instead temporary discomfort and hardship. He chose instead obedience. He chose eternal wealth at the cost of temporary wealth. Or look to the Bible, look at Moses. Hebrews 11, it tells us that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, but chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. But what about us? What will this actually mean for us? What will it mean for you to reject the mud pies and choose the real thing? What is that thing 
in your life that you're clinging to? What is that thing that you are tempted to rest in and to trust in and to hope in above all things? Maybe it is comfort. Maybe it is security. Maybe the thing that God is calling you to is is, uh, to stay here. To endure here. To do ministry here in this city where, where perhaps you'd have to give up some of your dreams. The dream of a house with a yard. <laughs> the dream of, of winter in a place where it isn't minus five degrees. Or maybe, maybe for you, selling everything means breaking off a relationship that doesn't glorify God. Maybe for you, selling everything means being content, being single, when there's no eligible people around. Maybe these examples of of famous people like Martin Luther King and Moses, maybe they're not helpful because maybe the thing you're clinging to is the hope of glory. Maybe what it's going to mean for you to sell everything is just to be content with the ordinary. To find God's blessing in the monotony of the routine. Of getting up, going to work, and being faithful. Of raising your children. Of following Jesus in humility and obscurity. And having nobody ever know what you did. I really don't know what it means for you. Like I said, it means something a little different for all of us. But here's what I do know. The cost... The call to follow Jesus is always a call to sell everything. The call to follow Jesus is always a call to give it all up. It is a call to radical obedience. To place our hope in God's word and his promises above everything else. To see that he is the treasure. That Jesus is the priceless treasure Worth more than anything else. And folks, if you are on the fence about this decision, if you're, if you're not convinced that he is really worth it, I just want to tell you, this is my testimony. He is. Jesus is worth it. You know, the promises he makes in this verse, if you're not careful, you might miss it. But, you know, he says that everybody who comes to him will receive a hundredfold now. In this time, houses and brothers and mothers and children and sisters and lands. He says that's now. That's not some abstract future spiritual reality. He's saying that that if you follow me, you will have this now. And you know what that is? That's a promise of the church. That is a promise that, that we get to experience right now that if you follow Jesus, you immediately become a part of this covenant people of God that right now, here in this room, He has given us a foretaste of eternity. He has brought us into this family now that is made up of people from every tongue and tribe and nation gathered together to worship Him above all things. Right here. Right now. You don't have to wait. And even though there's going to be trials, he says that, with persecutions, I guarantee if you follow Jesus, you will never regret it. So what does it mean practically? What does it mean for us to sell everything and to follow him? Well, it means that we live in a way 
that proves that we desire more than anything else that we desire Jesus. That we desire to know him and to be a part of his covenant people. That's what it means. That we follow him no matter what the cost. But how can we do that? It all sounds really noble. It's all very inspirational. We look at these big heroes of the faith and and it sounds great. We want to be like those people. But you know, just being inspired is not enough. Just being inspired is not going to be enough to make you live this way your entire life. It might be enough to get you to write a, a nice, passionate Facebook post. <laughs> being inspired might be enough to, to make you feel something deeply for a moment. But when those persecutions start to come, when, when, when you start to feel the hardship, those good intentions, that inspiration, those, those figures that we're looking to, those people aren't going to be enough. That's not going to be enough to sustain your resolve. So what is it? What's going to keep us committed when the hardship comes? What is going to keep you following Jesus when that daily, unglorious monotony of following Jesus washes over you? When you know it's a commitment every single day. When you face temptation and you have to to fight it while everybody around you is just giving in. When the romance of being obedient wears off and you're left with the the reality of it. When you do give up things for Jesus and you're suffering and you see other people who aren't giving up anything and they seem like they're doing fine, what then? Well, then you're going to need more than good intentions. Then you are going to need Jesus himself. then you're going to need to remember that you are a sinner, actually. You are a weak and needy and miserable and imperfect sinner. And so was Dr. Martin Luther King. So was Moses. And you know, our salvation is not dependent on our ability to do this perfectly. Just like theirs was. You see, the truth is, we're never going to give it all up perfectly. We're always going to wrestle with that pull, that temptation. We're always going to be be tempted to to look for comfort and ease. We're always going to be pulled in that direction of complacency and, and lukewarmness. If the only way for us to get treasure in heaven was to have an undivided heart, was to be entirely devoted to God, then the truth is, we'd all be like this guy in the story. If it was all up to us, we would all have to leave full of sorrow, alone, despairing. But of course, that's not all there is. The gospel message is much better than that. The gospel message is that it's Jesus' obedience, not our own, that guarantees that treasure. Not even a hero like Martin Luther King was radical enough to make it there on his own. That's what that whole camel through the eye of the needle thing's about, right? It's impossible. Salvation's impossible apart from God. But if you look closely at this passage, 
You see, you might see it from a different angle. If you look closely at this passage, you might realize that, that what Jesus is really calling us to, he's already done himself. You see, Jesus is the real rich young ruler in this passage. And when Jesus calls you to come and, and sell everything and follow him, you've got to realize that he has already given up far more for you. You see, Jesus was far richer than you will ever be. He didn't just give up the temporary worldly things for you, but Scripture tells us that he gave up the eternal riches for you. That he stepped off his heavenly throne and he came down to earth to bear your sins on the cross. He came down so that on the cross he could take your penalty. That he could take the penalty for your comfort seeking, for your contentment with the temporary things, and he could pay for them forever. He came to the cross to give you his eternal riches. That is the glory of the gospel. And folks, I want to tell you, if you repent today, if you trust in Him, then when you face that hardship, when you face that persecution, that will come. When you long to turn back, when you want to find an easier life, the thing that will keep you strong is not going to be your own resolve, but it will be the Spirit of the living God in you. It will be the fellowship of the saints. These people walking alongside of you, encouraging you on. It'll be the confidence that, that He has already given you an inheritance that will never fade. A kingdom that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. Folks, I want to encourage you. It's not easy. But the longer you walk with Jesus, the less you will be tempted, the less you will be fooled the more easily you will see through these empty promises. The more you know Jesus, the less you'll be content with the mud pies. If you'll join me, let's pray. Father, I, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for this call to give it all up and follow you. And when I look at the lives of these great men and women of the faith who have gone before us, I know that I am nothing special. But Lord, you are. I thank you that you are the one who gave it all up for us. And I pray that you would transform our lives. That you would make us into people who are not afraid of the cost. That you'd make us into people who live not for today, but for eternity. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.